I came with a reminder this morning, a reminder about your faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, the New King James Version all day. I've been stuck there for months. The Bible says this, Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Father, I thank you this morning for the opportunity to be an orator of your word. God, I ask that you would just bless these words out of my lips, that you'd use this broken vessel, Lord, to bring forth your glory. God, I pray for the anointing of Samuel, that not one word that I would speak would fall to the ground. God, I ask you today that after we leave this place, that we don't just leave with a, with a good word, but we leave being equipped to do something with the word, that we're not just hearers of the word, but we're doers of the word. And the church said, I'm used to Pentecostal church. You've got to be louder than that. The church said, yeah, that's what I'm talking about this morning. Recently, my wife and I were invited to go to an FC Cincinnati game, soccer. I'm not a soccer fan at all. I'm a football fan. I'm a baseball fan. Matter of fact, I got box seats for the Reds game right after this. I'm leaving and I'm going to go watch the Reds win. But I got invited to the FC Cincinnati game by the owners of FC Cincinnati. They gave me seats. They gave me a parking pass and everything. They said, you just go ahead and go. You sit in our seats. How can I pass that up? So I took their parking pass and I jumped in our Chevy. And I drove to FC Cincinnati to the address they told me to go to park. I pulled into a parking lot, and as soon as I pulled in the parking lot, I see the players coming out of their cars going into the building. And a security guard runs, running at me like this. No, 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 no. You're not allowed to be here. I was like, okay. Another security guard comes to the passenger side. I'm like, it's getting rough here, Shanna. They're, they're about to arrest us at this FC Cincinnati game. One on the left, one on the right. I got the windows rolled down. I said, but I got a QR code here that tells me I'm supposed to park here. He goes, no, you're supposed to park in other areas. There's plenty of other parking around you. You're not allowed to be here. So I pulled out my phone and I showed him the QR code. He looked at me and said, I am so sorry. I am so sorry. I said, well, where can I park at? He said, anywhere you want. So you know what I did? I didn't take the last spot in the parking lot. I took the very first spot, right at the entrance, the VIP door is what it said over it. I parked right in the very front. I parked my Chevy next to a Rolls Royce, a Bentley, a Range Rover. You know why? Because at first I was, I was unsure. I was like, oh man, I'm in the wrong place. But then when they saw what I had in my hand, I got some confidence. They said, oh, you're allowed to go anywhere. So I got confidence. We stepped out of our Chevy and walked right into the door. Someone ushered me to a private elevator. In the elevator, they took me to my private suite. I stood in my private suite and I said, what, what do we have to eat? They said, there's nine buffets. You can have whatever you want. I'm a cheeseburger and french fry guy. Look at me. They had prime rib and roasted asparagus. I'm like, this, you're not supposed to eat this at a game. But I had confidence. I felt like I owned FC Cincinnati's soccer game because someone gave me the ability to operate in their behalf. And it gave me a level of confidence. Now, if that security guard would have told me I wasn't allowed to park there and he didn't scan my QR code, I probably wouldn't have even went into the building. But my past experience with the security guard enabled me to walk through other doors. I walked through a VIP door that me and myself in my Chevy Tahoe that I drove should not have been allowed to park in. But my faith and confidence in what I had gave me the ability to keep going till I got to the point where I sat in the owner's box. And I was at TQL Stadium the very first time that FC Cincinnati ever won a game there. So they called me, the people who gave me the tickets, and they said, you ought to come to every game. <laughs> I said, I can do that. Just keep giving me those tickets, and I'll do it. Faith is the foundation of our lives. The Bible goes on to say that by faith, even the worlds were framed. That's a construction term. It's the foundation of what we build our lives upon faith. Faith is the most important thing to a Christian. God had to have confidence in his own words when he said, let there be, that they would come to pass. God has confidence in his words, but we as Christians sometimes lack confidence in what God has to say. This is yes, this is no. 
How many of you have had a word from the Lord and you didn't see it come to pass and you find yourself in a place where you're saying to yourself, this doesn't look like what I thought it was supposed to look like. 100% participation in the room today. We're not where I thought we were going to be. He said something else. (laughs) This does not look right. In the past 18 months, I have seen many people lose their confidence in the word of the Lord. Some of my friends that are millennials that have national prophetic ministries have given up their ministries, shut the door because they lost confidence in the word of the Lord. I've seen several people, maybe not an oasis, but many of the churches that I'm connected with, a lot of people have left because they've lost confidence in a season of disparity. They forgot who they were. They forgot what God said about them, and they lost their confidence. But the Bible clearly said that without that faith, without that confidence, it's impossible to please God. Faith is the most important thing that you've got. My wife and I take a lot of vacations because we don't have kids. (laughs) All of our friends with kids are like, please have kids. We hate you. We've been going on 15 years with no kids, so we take a lot of vacations. And I usually plan the vacation because I'm OCD. I got to know everything about everything I'm doing. If you want to know something about something, let me figure it out because give me a week and I'll know everything that there is to know about it. So I usually do all the research, find the hotel, the very best places to go. And I do all the vacation planning. We used to have a a travel agent. (laughs) I drove her so crazy, she she fired herself. (laughs) That's the truth. I had to start doing it myself. Shanna decided she wanted to go on a vacation by herself. I couldn't make it happen. So she had a girl's trip to Miami. And she went on Airbnb and found the perfect place. She didn't let me do the research. (laughs) She got to this Airbnb, and it was a piece of trash on the very wrong side. I mean, there was some trick photography going on on Airbnb. She got there, and she FaceTimed me. She's like, Mikey, I have paid for this place for the whole week, and there are no refunds. I cannot stay here. It was that bad. She went with an expectation that what she thought she saw was where she was going. She got there, and it wasn't where she was supposed to be. You know what I did? I'm a good husband. I said, give me 30 minutes. (laughs) I stopped working at work, went to my truck, and I found a place, a hotel. I reserved it, and I said, don't worry about the rest of the week at that trash hole. You go to where you're supposed to go and enjoy the rest of your week. Because she got someplace that did not look like it was supposed to look. How many of you in this room say, I'm in a place right now that doesn't look like I thought it was supposed to look like? This isn't the picture that I had in my head when I thought about where I was going to be in the middle of 2021. Am I in the right room this morning? Or am I in the room with Jesus' second cousins? Everything's going perfect in your life. Halos around your head. You go in the house. The kids say, Mother and Father, welcome to our humble abode. No, I'm in the right room. It's easy to lose your confidence when you get to a place that does not look like Watch it. It's easy to lose your confidence when you're living in a nation that does not look like what you thought it was going to look like at this time. Easy to lose your confidence when you look at your marriage and it does not look like what you thought it was going to look like. When you look at your family and they do not look like what you thought. I came today to ask you a question. Where is your faith? Man, I want to preach with spit, but it's not happening. The Holy Spirit wanted me to come into this room this morning and speak to you this morning by way of camera and ask you the question, where is your faith? I'm terrible at sports. I'm terrible at all sports. I cannot play sports. Tried it my whole life. Right now I'm on this big golf kick, and I am the worst golfer. I bought the very best clubs that money could buy. I look the part. I look like a pro, man. I've got the Adidas Tour golf shoes that the professionals on PGA Tour wear. I look the part where I walk into the clubhouse to buy, to pay for my, go- I mean, everyone looks at me like, this guy's going to be good. Until I tee off. Last weekend, Saturday, I teed off on the very first hole and hit a house. I bounced right off of a house, and it, I mean, everyone's looking at me. They're, they're lined up watching me, and I'm not good under pressure. <laughs> I look the part, but I'm not good. I'm not a good sports player of any sport. But I've learned something. I've learned how to trash talk. Oh, yeah. I'm the best trash talker there is, man. You'll think I'm the very best until we get to the tee box. (laughs) Because I understand something. If I can't beat you with my skill level, 
I got to beat you with your lack of faith in yourself. If I can get you to question your own abilities, I can get you to drop your game down to my level. I've done it my whole life. I've been able to get into your head and talk at a level where, oh, man, I'm going to destroy you. It's like a Muhammad Ali thing like he used to do when they'd stand up to box, right? They'd get in each other's face like, oh, yeah, I'm going I'm to take you down. Trying to get into their head. You know the enemy is the king of trash talkers? If he can get you to doubt your faith in God, he's got the upper hand. Most Christians win or lose their battle before they ever step on the battlefield. If you allow the enemy to speak to you in a trash-talking manner the way that I'm so good at, I promise you, you'll lose before you ever start because he'll get you to start questioning things that you already know are true. He'll get you to start doubting your faith and doubting your confidence in God. Confidence either promotes your victory or it ensures your defeat. And we've allowed what we've seen in media and what we've read in social media and all these other medias that we need to shut off to wave us. The Bible says that you should establish your feet upon the rock. But most of the church is sinking in the sand. Where is your faith? Quiet in the house this morning. <laughs> Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, the Bible says this. For we walk by faith and not by sight. When God has given you a word, you can't use your eyes to establish your next step. Your eyes will lie to you. But it doesn't look like what I thought. It's not like what I pictured. God said, quit looking. Close your eyes and just listen to my voice. The Bible says that my sheep know my voice. And a stranger, they will not follow. So if you follow your eyes and you hear me speaking, and I leave the stage, if you trust your eyes, at this point, you think I've left the building. At this point, you think the stage is empty, that the show is over, that the preaching is done, it's over, let's go to Golden Corral and let's eat lunch because it's done. But if you know my voice, you understand that even if I'm not in the frame, even if I don't have the camera right in the perfect angle, even if I'm not right in the center where you can see me, you can still understand that I'm preaching the gospel from a place you cannot see. You understand that you have to trust what you hear, not what you see. For too long, the church has been looking and looking and looking and looking, but forgetting what they've heard. He's already said revival's coming. He's already said billions and billions are coming. He said America shall be saved. Where is your faith? Stop looking with your eyes and start hearing with your ears. We walk by faith and not by sight. Even if the picture doesn't look right, we walk by faith and not by by sight. Where is your faith? Now I'm preaching. Luke chapter 8, verses 22 through 25. The Bible says this. Now it happened on a certain day that he being Jesus got into a boat with his disciples. And he said to them, let us cross over to the other side of the lake. And they launched out. But as they had sailed, he fell asleep, and a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water, and they were in jeopardy. And they came to him and awoke him, saying, Master, we are perishing. In Mark's account, they say, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Do you even care that we're dying? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased, and there was a calm. But he said to them, where is your faith? Mark's, chapter, Mark's account says, do you have no faith? What happened to the little bit of faith you have, the message said. Where is your faith? They were afraid and marveled, saying to one another, who can this be? For he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Mark's account says, what manner of man is this, that even the winds and the waves obey him? 
They had just left the other side. In the previous chapters of the book of Luke, we see Jesus on the Sabbath day healing a man with a, with a withered hand. The Bible says he stretches out his hand and it was made whole and the disciples see it happen. He goes before an entire multitude that were filled with disease. You read it for yourself, chapter 6. The Bible says that Jesus healed them all. Every one of the people in the multitude were healed. And the 12 disciples saw it all happen. But we're dying up here. You don't even care. You don't even care. We're dying, Jesus. We just saw you do all these great miracles. They were at a city of Nain at the city gate a couple chapters before this. And a widow is carrying her dead son out of the city. And Jesus stops the funeral procession, lays his hands on a dead boy, and the dead boy comes back to life right before they jump in the boat. They get in a boat. A storm happens, and they lose all of their faith. Much of the church has seen God move with his hand. They've seen dead things be brought back to life. They've saw, they've saw situations that look like they were dire and ending flip around for the good. They've seen the sick healed, but in the middle of a storm, they say, Do you not care that we perish? Don't you know we're dying down here? Please come save us. Please, where are you at? It's been the cry of the church for the past 18 months. God, where are you at? Where are you? Jesus looked at him and said, where's your faith? Don't you see what I just now did? Yeah, we know you as the resurrector. Yeah, we know you as the one who can heal the sick. We know you as the one who can multiply the bread and the fish. We even know you as the one that can walk on the water. But in the middle of this storm, we don't know you as the one that can cause peace in the middle of chaos. I've never seen you in that facet. So they put a limit on him. They limited him as the healer when he was everything that they needed. The church has limited Jesus as the healer, as the deliverer, as the resurrection, and as the life. But we have forgotten that he can also speak into a storm and say, peace, be still. And the winds have to calm and the waves can no longer rage. Where is your faith? Where is your faith? Jesus allowed the situation to get to a life or death circumstance before he intervened so that he could expose himself to the disciples in an entirely different facet. Jesus could have told them not to get on the boat at all and prevented it to happen, but they would have never known him as the one who could calm the storms. They'd never say, what manner of man is this? Sometimes God allows situations to deteriorate in such a way that only he can intervene and change it. That You can't get the glory for what happens, that only he can get the glory. The Bible says that no flesh can glory in his presence. So he allows the situation to get to the point of exhaustion where you're like, I, it, it's over. It's done. We're sinking. We're taking on water. And he steps in and he says, peace, and everything changes. I think we're about to step into a season where the sleeping master wakes up from the boat he corrects us and says where has your faith been now peace be still how many people in the room need him to speak into your situation peace be still into your marriage peace be still into your children peace be still into your business peace be still into our nation peace be still in our weakness He's able to reveal his strength. When we're weak, he's perfectly strong, the Bible says. Completely strong. Whole. Entirely. Everywhere where we're, we're weak, he's got the ability to fill that need. Where is your faith? Can I build you up today? The Bible says to build yourself up on your most holy faith. Not on Apostle Tim's most holy faith. 
Not on Pastor Carol's most holy faith. Something has got to ignite on the inside of every single believer that says, I believe, though hell comes at me, though every fiery dart of the enemy's been shot in my direction, that the Holy Spirit can quench it with just words out of his mouth. I've got confidence in his word. I've got faith. Man, I feel the Holy Spirit in this room this morning. I love preaching. If you're not called to preach, accept the call today. Hallelujah. It may look like it's over. God specializes in that. It may look like it's finished. I remember a time that they put him in a grave and rolled a stone over the door and pitched the door so no one could get in and no one could get out. But early on one morning, a woman named Mary found herself with an alabaster box of oil once again to anoint his body for a second time. She got there and said, where is the master? And supposing him to be the gardener, she said, where did you lay him? And he says, oh, Mary, Mary. She said, oh, it's him. It doesn't look like him, but I know his voice. That's who it is. Oh, master, That's you. It's him. And the Bible says that Mary was the first person to be able to preach the gospel of the resurrected Jesus because she did not look with her eyes, but she listened with her ears. What are you hearing? Are you hearing his voice or are you hearing the taunts of the enemy? What are you listening to? John chapter 11, verses 11 through 15. The Bible says this. These things Jesus said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. (laughs) See, the disciples had just gotten news that their friend Lazarus was sick. They say, Jesus, we got to change what we're doing. We got we to go fix this. You're the healer. If you can just get there and put your hands on him, we understand Lazarus will be with us next week. Jesus said he's asleep. The disciples, being ignorant to what he was saying, said this, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, and they thought that he was speaking about taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, listen, guys, Lazarus is dead. And this is the part of Scripture that absolutely blows my mind. Jesus' friend Lazarus died. Read the next verse. Jesus said, and I am glad. Wait a second, Jesus. This is the brother of Mary and Martha. Lazarus has been with us for a long time. What do you mean I'm glad? He's dead. It's done. Jesus said, I'm glad for your sake. That I was not there. That you may believe, nevertheless, let us go to him. Verse 20, the Bible says this, Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Lord, I've seen you spit in the ground and make clay and rub it on a blind man's face and heal him if you'd have just been here at the right time, but you're too late. Hmm. Many in the church are saying, Lord, if you would have just done it then. He's saying, I'm glad I didn't move when you wanted me to move. That's hard to hear. But I thought you were going to do it. I'm glad that it got to the point of death for your sake. What do you mean? I've seen you heal. I know you can do it. Yeah, but you have never seen me raise a four-day-old stinking man. Now step back and watch what I can do. (laughs) The Bible says this in verse 37. I'm skipping around for time's sake. And some of them said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there's a stench, for he's been dead for four days. He's decaying. It's done. You're wasting your time. America's finished. 
I've heard preachers say that. It's over. It's done. The rapture. I'm rapture ready. I'm not. I want to see the kingdoms of the the world become the kingdoms of our God and his Christ. I want to see every sinner hear the gospel, the saving grace of Jesus. I want to see revival, fire take over America. And I want to see the White House burn for Jesus Christ. I don't want to escapism. I don't want to leave. I want to hear the voice of the Lord say, go, be a laborer in my harvest field. For the harvest is ready, but the laborers are few. So we pray, Lord of the harvest, send us even more laborers. This thing's not done with. If you're looking to the eastern sky for it to split, I got news for you. It's not happening in the morning. We sing about it my whole life. Only if we can make it till the morning. He's saying you're not trying to make it. You should thrive. You're a citizen of the kingdom. You shouldn't barely be hanging on. Do you hear my word? My word is yes and my word is amen. Where is your faith? Man, I'm preaching to myself. Jesus spoke to a rotting corpse of a dead man. He spoke to a rotting corpse, but he smells, she said. It's been four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that, did I not say to you? God is saying that today. Holy Spirit just highlighted it to me. Did I not say to you, didn't I say it? Do you not trust me? Where's your faith? Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? I came with a prophetic word for you today. The Lord says to you this morning that did you not say, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was laying, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes. And his face was wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to the disciples, loose him and let him go. The ones who just now did not believe that it could happen are immediately thrown into the circumstance demummifying a dead body. Jesus said, didn't I just now tell you? Look at what I just did. (laughs) Man, I'm good like that too. I'm good like that. If you tell me I can't do something, I swear. I swear on everything I have, I'll do it and I'll be the best at it. I will. Only thing you got, if you want me to do something, just tell me I can't do it. And I mean, come hell or high water, I'll do whatever I can and I will be the best at it. Jesus said, you're trying to limit me? You're trying to tell me that I can't do what I came to do? Listen, I am the resurrection. Watch this. Lazarus, get out of the grave. And the dead man came forth with just his words. He didn't even touch him. They saw him touch in the past. He said, watch this. I ain't got to touch him. Lazarus, come on. I can see Jesus getting a little bit cocky. Watch this, boys. Lazarus, come out. And then Lazarus comes out. I'm sure they're scared to death, <laughs> right? Oh, my gosh, what's this? Go unwrap him. But, 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 go do it. They unwrap him, and there's Lazarus whole. Man, that's what kind of God you serve. You don't serve a God that only works in good circumstances. You serve a God that can change things that look impossible. You serve the God that can do everything. Without him, nothing is possible. But with him, all things are possible. That's the God that you serve. Where is your faith? Where is your faith? Where is your faith? God specializes in impossible situations. He can turn our greatest disappointments into his greatest miracles. Ask Joseph, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. The Bible says this, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, they were engaged. 
before they came together for adult stuff, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine, Joseph? I often think of that. Mary comes to Joseph. Joseph, the Holy Spirit came up on me. Joseph's like, come on. The Bible says that, I'll, I'll just read it, it's right here. Then Joseph, her espoused husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. He's like, I'm so embarrassed of this situation. We got to hide you. I can imagine his disappointment. He'd been betrothed to this girl. He had already paid her dowry. They had already planned the wedding. He had seen a future where she was pregnant with his son. She comes to him and all of his dreams and hopes are broken. It's not like I thought it was going to turn out. Joseph's greatest disappointment. You know, Mark Lowry made, made a song that became very famous. Mary, did you know that your baby boy one day walk on water? I wonder why he didn't say Joseph, did you know? Mary, had, Mary knew the angel came to her, right, you're going to have a baby. Joseph had no idea if it was the truth or not. He had to trust. He had to have confidence and he had to have faith. Mary saw it with her eyes. Joseph heard it with his ears. And he had to believe what he heard because his greatest disappointment would soon become the world's greatest miracle. He could have been let down to the point where he just said, I'm done. Mary, go do your own thing. If that would have happened when Jesus walked down the streets and blind men would yell out to him, they would have never said son of David. David was in Joseph's lineage. Son of David, have mercy on me. Joseph did not give up on his dream because it looked wrong. They even assumed that Jesus was his son. When Jesus would speak, they would say, isn't that the son of the carpenter? They didn't call him the son of God. They called him the son of Joseph. Isn't he just the son of the carpenter? Some down there in Nazareth? Joseph's greatest disappointment became the ability for the world to be saved. The Bible says this, but while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. I believe that in today's culture, Joseph would have probably had Mary abort her baby. M much of the church has tried to abort what the Holy Spirit has given to us. It's planted seed in us and it didn't look like what we wanted. So we've been willing to abort it. God's saying that it's due season. It's time for that thing that I've deposited into my church to come to fruition. The Bible says that when he was born, Joseph said his name shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. They saw God in a whole new way. They knew the God of the Ten Commandments. They knew the God of... Egypt, they knew the God of the wilderness. They knew the God of the promised land. They knew the God that the prophets have spoken about, but they never knew God with us. But because Joseph was willing to not see with his eyes, but to hear with his ears, we now see God with us, the one who's right here in the midst of us. They saw God with their own eye. Jesus said this. They said, tell us about the Father. He said, if you've seen me, You've seen the Father. Men saw God with their own eyes. Moses could not look on the face of God. He had to look at God's backside. God hit him in the cleft of a rock. He said, I'll pass by, but you can only see my hind side. Moses, 
You know, the one that was the friend of God. The one who talked with God like he talked with a man. They were friends. Could not look upon him. But because a man named Joseph said yes to a little girl named Mary that had conceived before it was her time, when it looked wrong, the world was able to look upon a man and say, this is God with us. In dire circumstances of today, if we'll just believe in faith, we'll see and we'll say, God has been with us. Wow. God has been with us. I've been reading the Gospels like crazy. Gospel, 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 Revelation. If Jesus said it, I want to digest it. And I've found a common theme in the Gospels and in the book of Revelation. Jesus never says, he who has eyes to see, let him see what the Spirit is saying to the church. The Bible says multiple times, you start reading, it says, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Jesus will say it twice in a row. He who has ears, he who has ears to hear, he who has ears to hear. Today, I want you to circumcise your ear. Take off all the unnecessary flesh that is hindering you from being able to hear what God is saying. And just remember for a moment every promise of the Lord. Take about 10 seconds and remember what God's promised you over the years. Where's your faith? Is it in what you see or is it in what you've heard? Joseph and Mary could have been the first participants on the Mari show. <laughs> Joseph is not the baby's daddy. The lie detector test determined this is a lie, Mary. You are not the baby's father. But Joseph decided to be a, hum a humble man and a man of honor. He decided to do what was right. I think it's time for the church to decide to do what's right. In the midst of chaos, in the midst of a government that's turning on the church, just do what's right. I think it's time for the church to stand up. I think it's time for the church to once again realize where their faith. I think it's time for us to shake ourselves and remember once again the word of the Lord given to us. I believe with my entire heart that America will turn back to God. But do you know where America starts? In your home. I'm believing for a revival of the home. Mm. God's got it, got it to the level where you can't turn your TV on and watch it. Turn the TV off and gather around your dining room table with your family. You pull out the Bible again like we used to do. I remember the old family Bible that was on the coffee table. We didn't care about the way it looked in our decorations. It was there. And I remember all the pictures in the center. I remember learning how to read from the Gospel of John. Once again, if the family would just turn the house back to God, I'm believing we're going to see revival first start in our homes. And we're going to see our children turn to God. And then they're going to turn their schools to God. Our workplaces are going to be turned to God. Then we're going to take over our government for God. And I see America as a shining lamp and a burning torch once again in a dark world. Saying, listen, there is hope. And his name is Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. I'm believing. I'm believing. Is there anyone in this room that believes that? Or am I in a room with a bunch of people that believe that God, that God has withdrawn his, his hope, that there's Ichabod over America, the glory has departed? I do not believe that. I believe that there's still a remnant. If he can save, if he can say, if Sodom and Gomorrah has 10 people left that are righteous, I'll save it. I'm looking at a few hundred this morning that says, you will not destroy this place where I'm at because I'm an ambassador of the kingdom. I'm believing that God's going to come in here at the very last moment and do what he does. He's going to speak with his voice. And this thing's about to shift. It's about to change. When I cannot see it, Shannon and I have some friends, David and Nicole Binion, and they wrote this song. It says, when I cannot see it, God, I still believe it. You are working all things for my good. I think that a few people in the room just need to start declaring that over your life. Even when I cannot see it, God, I still believe it. You're working all things for the good of those who love the Lord and are the called according to his purpose. Joseph had faith and confidence and saw God in a brand new way. Judges chapter 6, verses 6 through 16. The Bible says this. 
So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites, that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel, who said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel. Isn't that amazing? God, when people pray, God always sends a word. Read it. Through the whole Old Testament, Israel would do what they did. They'd murmur and complain, murmur and complain, murmur and complain, get into slavery. People would cry out. God would always send a prophet. He'd always send his word. The Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel who said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage. And I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. You see what God's doing? He's reminding them of what he's already done. He's reminding them, don't you remember? Don't you remember when I drove you out? Don't you remember when I, they were oppressing you and I, and I gave you their land? And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the God of the Amorites in whose land you now dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat underneath the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizarite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress. While his son Gideon threshed wheat inside of the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. Valor means courage. Courage in battle. I just read to you, Gideon is afraid of the Midianites so much so that he's hiding inside of a winepress, threshing wheat. Not on a threshing floor where it's supposed to be done, but inside of a winepress. This isn't a man of courage. This is a man who's scared to death. But God steps in and says, mighty man of valor. Why would God say something that doesn't look right? Because he sees in the middle of everything, even though it doesn't look right to you, that he's got a plan and he's got a purpose. You're a mighty man of valor. But my family is not serving God. You're a mighty man of valor. But my children are in the streets. You're a mighty man of valor. But my nation has turned its back on God. You're a mighty man of valor. But the Christian church as a whole seems like they want nothing to do with revival, that they're just ready to go up when it's time. But you're a mighty man of God's saying that to each and every one of you this morning. It may look like a dire situation, but you, 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 you're a mighty man of valor. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, you mighty man of valor. Gideon said to him, oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? That sounds familiar. And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about? Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt, but now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hand of the Midianites. He gave up. I've heard stories my whole life about the miracles. I've heard, I've been hunting with Dutch and Tim, and they tell me about how they used to, their job when they were kids was to sweep the tumors off the floor of the tent revival after their dad would lay hands on the sick and tumors would fall off. Well, that happened to them, but I haven't seen it. Oh, but stage four cancer is being healed in Bethel and Redding, California, but we haven't seen it here. Must not be happening. That's, what's hap that, that's what Gideon's saying. I've heard the stories. I've heard them all, but not happening now. Many of the people in the church today are saying that. I've heard the appeal to, me to, appeal to heaven message. I've seen Dutch and Tim go across the entire nation and preach it. I saw what seemed like God shifting things, and now all of a sudden it seems like it's chaos again. He must have forsaken us. <laughs> In the middle of that, God says, you mighty man of valor. You person of courage. He's trying to remind you once again who you really are. You are not defeated. Actually, as a matter of fact, he said that he'll let the enemy as a serpent be underneath your foot. It's already finished. The war's already over. If you'll just trust his word, listen to what he says. God reminds him of what, of what happened. I brought you out of Egypt. I did that for you. Midian's, I mean, Gideon's like, oh, yeah, but it's not happening now. Many people are forsaking their faith because of what they're not seeing. I'm not seeing it. I'm not seeing it. I'm not seeing it. 
But what are you hearing? Mighty men of valor. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So he said to him, O Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan's the weakest. He's giving excuses. We're the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Gideon was full of fear, and the angel called him full of courage. He saw an innumerable number of Midianite uh, army, so many that they couldn't even count it. The Bible said their camels and their men were innumerable. And he gave up before he fought. He threw in the towel before he ever got in the fight. Your biggest enemy is not the eternal loser. Your biggest enemy is yourself. Write that down. Your biggest enemy is not him. He's defeated. That's done for. When Jesus said, it is finished, it was done. You don't even have to worry about it. It's already over. But your biggest enemy is this. Right between your ears, you can get your thought process wrong. You can defeat yourself before it ever starts. The Bible says, whatsoever a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. What you think, you are. He didn't say, I'm, I'm the least of these. I'm the weakest. I'm, we're the weakest tribe, Manasseh. I'm the least in my father's house. That's why God's trying to encourage him. He says, go with this courage that you have. But I just told you, go with this courage. Come on. Come on. I'm trying to encourage you today to not be a Gideon in a wine press scared for your life, but to be a Gideon, the man of courage. The Bible goes on to talk about this man. He gathers an army of 32,000 people. And he goes against the Midianites. And God said, no, there's too many. What do you mean there's too many? I can't even number those people. There's 32,000 of us. God said, let 22,000 of them go. Here he stands with 10,000. <laughs> Gideon's like, okay, God, I, I don't, this doesn't look right. 10,000 doesn't look right against this army, but I'm listening to your voice. What do you want me to do next? Go into battle? Nah. Drop about 9,700 of them. What? Send them back home. But there's only 300 of us. God said, that's perfect. Yeah, but there's only a few of us. That's perfect. Because in your weakness, I'm about to show myself strong. The Bible says that they all came with pitchers in their hands and torches and trumpets. And they gathered around the army of Midian. And they blew their trumpets. And as they blew their trumpets, the army receded and left because they thought there was way more than 300. Sometimes God lets it get down to the very least of these before he says, okay, it's perfect. My timing is perfect. And we're in a season of God's perfect timing where we've dwindled it down to enough where he gets the glory for it. Listen to me. God's about to expose himself in a way that you've never seen before. You say, I'm tired of hearing it's about to happen. Well, I'm here to tell you it's here. I'm tired of it's about to happen. God's not about to. God is doing it. It's happening now. Do you hear the sound of marching over the trees? Do you hear the sound of the armies of heaven going before us? This is our time. This is our season. It is now. We're in the season of divine victory. Listen to me. Write it down. Season of divine victory. Victory, 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 victory. Win, win, win. Man, that don't sound like a lot of winners to me. Where is your faith? Where is your confidence in his word? Did he not say it? Will he not do it? Did he not say it? Will he not perform it? He's the God of yes and amen. He's the God of anything is possible. I think I'm in the room with a few hundred Gideons that has allowed their army to dwindle down. And said, it looks impossible, but it's perfect. <laughs> it looks impossible, but it's perfect. You know, Joshua and Caleb were given the assignment as spies to go and look at the promised land and bring back what they saw. Ten of the men with them came back and said, we can't take this promised land. <laughs> There's giants in the land. This is what they said. We're as grasshoppers in their sight. 
Joshua and Caleb saw the same thing, but they came back and said, we could surely overtake them. <laughs> we can surely overtake them. But because 10 of them saw themselves as grasshoppers, they did not enter into the promised land at that time. Their victory was delayed. If they, would have, if they would have just all had the courage that Joshua and Caleb had and the confidence and the faith, they could have walked right into their promise and got out of their wilderness. The Bible said that they had to wait. They waited and waited and waited. Eventually, everyone died except for Joshua and Caleb. The two that had courage, the two that had faith. God speaks to Joshua and says, Moses is dead. Crossover. Joshua said, children of Israel, in three days, I've been crossing this wilderness for 40 years. I'm so sick of this wilderness. Can anyone in the room say, I'm so sick of this wilderness? Come on, I've, I've, I've been sustained through it. He's given me manna to eat, water from a rock. He's made my clothes go with me. My shoes have not worn out. He's provided for me a cloud by day and a fire by night to make it through. But I'm sick of just surviving. I'm tired of this wilderness. I'm ready for my promise. Stand to your feet in this room this morning if you're ready for your promise. Father, today, we're, I'm in the room today with a bunch of Joshua and Caleb's that say, I can surely overtake this thing. I'm ready to walk into my promise. God, we pray today, Lord, that you would once again split the Jordan so that we could walk through, that nothing should be impossible to us, God. I think if you're looking to and fro for those of whom you can show yourself strong through, you found the group of people that you can do it through. God, let it be us. We are the people of courage. We say yes. Our faith and our confidence is in you and you alone. Our faith is not in our government. Our faith is not in our elected officials. Our faith is not in media. Our faith is not in anything but you, God. Today, we're believing that you alone can guide us into our promise, and we're willing to fight to take it. God, use us. God, here I am. Use me. Come on, say that. God, here I am. Use me. Use me today, Lord. And I believe today that as you walk out of this place, you'll be walking into your promise. Come on. Does anybody want that promise that they've heard? Come on. Not because I see it, but because I've heard it. I've heard it. Therefore, I believe it. I've heard it, and I know it to be true. Your words are yes, and your words are amen.